Welcome to the SJBC Sunday Morning Sermon. We hope you enjoy this message brought to you by our senior pastor, Dr. Richard Carver. For more podcasts, videos, and information on our church, please visit mysjbc.org. We certainly serve and worship and believe in a good, good father. Grateful for him. We're in Job chapter 19 this morning, page 414, uh, there in your pew Bible. I think we all realize and understand that there's within the heart and soul and mind and thinking really of every single person that we want to live forever. And I know that because we all take our vitamins, we take the medications that our doctors prescribe, we go out and exercise and we, and we do all the stuff that we're supposed to do because we want to live as long as we can. No one ever wants to live as short as they can. We all want to live and live and live. And in the heart of us, we kind of want to live forever, think that we might live forever, but, but there's really only one thing that can cause that to happen. You have to be immortal in order to live forever. None of us can reach that place of immortality without something particularly happy. And that is knowing Christ as our Lord and Savior because eternal life comes from and through our Redeemer only. He is what makes us immortal as we place our faith in Him as our Lord and Savior. And we are alive today and live on into immortality because of the power of His resurrection. And we've sung about it today. The power of Christ's resurrection extends to those who place their faith in Him. If you don't place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then that extension of life immortal, life eternal, is not granted to you. It only comes by Jesus Christ. And He's promised that every believer who believes in Him as Lord and Savior, Jesus has given the assurance that we will live forever with Him and we'll see God's glory. Now, if there's anything about Scripture that I appreciate above probably anything else, it's that how consistent it is. Because the Bible, once you read it from cover to cover, you begin to understand and realize that it's really God retelling the same story over and over because God never wants us to be surprised when we stand before Him. So He makes it real clear about what His expectations are for His children, and He repeats it over and over in Scripture. He tells it profoundly what we can expect from Him, and He says it over and over in Scripture. And He says it several different ways. Now for us, we believe that Jesus will reign forever and ever. But I will say this. Though Jesus will reign forever and ever, and Scripture tells us that He will, the Messiah's work is still not complete. Sometimes we think about the cross and we think that that was the finished work of Christ. Well, that was the finished work of salvation. But Christ is not finished working yet. He's still got a lot more to do. Primarily, if we intend to join Christ in everlasting song, then we've got to be raised from the dead in order to do that. We have to be resurrected. Now, some would suggest that the Old Testament does not speak about resurrection, and, but it does. They would not be accurate. Remember, God doesn't want us to be surprised. And so much of what we find in the New Testament is also in the Old Testament. We just have to go look for it. Because God's story about telling us who He is and who we are in relation to Him and His plan to redeem humanity starts all the way back in Genesis and goes all the way through Revelation. Job chapter 19 is a compelling passage of Scripture because in Job 19, we find references to resurrection from the dead. 
And we find references to a resurrected Redeemer. Now, if you know anything about Job, Job lived, most commentators believe, around the time of Abraham. So this was long before, this would be in the Genesis chapter 28 through like Genesis chapter 32 time period. Genesis 40. So a long, long time ago. He would have lived before they ever went into Egyptian captivity. Job would have lived before the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. He would have lived long, hundreds of years before Joshua. So even before the nation of Israel was born, God's already talking about a redeemer. He's already talking about resurrection from the dead. And we find hints of it in Old Testament passages like this where God shares his plan to raise people from the dead. One of these passages is Job. So join me in chapter 19, page 414, there in your pew Bible. Job 19, verse 25. Just read this first statement with me. I know my Redeemer lives. Now, we're going to talk about what that means to be a Redeemer. But just in this phrase right here, we understand that Redeemers must be living. It doesn't say, my Redeemer is going to redeem me from the grave. He starts off verse 25 by saying, my Redeemer lives. He doesn't say, used to live. He doesn't say, is going to live. His Redeemer lives. And so he knows that his Redeemer lives, and he knows that in the end, in the end of what? In the end of time, when all things that have been written will be accomplished. And that in the end, he will stand on the earth. That's Zechariah 14, and then the book of Revelation. It's also in the book of Acts chapter 1 and 2, where Jesus said in the book of Acts, as you have seen me go, so shall I return. It's prophesied in Zechariah 14. It's also prophesied in, or in the book of Revelation where we see Jesus coming down and sitting on the Mount of Olives. So Job, living during the time of Abraham, looking forward through time, has faith in a living Redeemer who will stand upon the earth. After my skin has been destroyed, we understand what that means after he's dead. Yet in my flesh, I'll see God. After I'm dead and my flesh has rotted and wasted away, in my flesh, I'll see God. Isn't it beautiful how God tells us ahead of time what he's going to tell us? This is wonderful that we're reading this in the book of Job, living around the time of the patriarch Abraham, already talking about resurrection from the dead and receiving a glorified body. Why does that matter to us? Because if you'll remember, reflect the last couple of weeks, Mary Magdalene approached Jesus in the, in, the, in the garden. The stone had been rolled away. She saw her Savior, went to run toward him, and Jesus said, oh, don't touch me yet. Because my body has not yet been glorified. Or I don't have my everlasting body. My forever body. 
And that's what Job is talking about here in this passage. That yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself, and I love this, I myself will see him with my own eyes. I'm not going to count on somebody else to tell me what they saw. That's what he says here. Not with, the, the, with someone else, but I'll see with my own eyes and not someone else, not another. I'm going to see God with my eyes in my flesh, even though I know that the flesh I now have is going to rot in the grave. And I can say that I'm full of authority because my Redeemer is going to stand on this earth again. And not only that, but he lives. Because he lives, I'll see him. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, that is so compelling. For us to give us such a, a sense of security. If Job can say that 10,000 years ago, 7,000 years ago, and folks, we are a lot closer to the rapture of the church now than they were then. My gracious. How my heart yearns, he says, within me. And it yearns because Job knows all these things. Now, you remember Job in the book of Job. And when you read questions like this and you know the story of Job who lost everything that he had. When you read this kind of passage and you know he doesn't have anything, you want to ask, well, who in the thunder is this redeemer? Why isn't he like redeeming him? Why isn't he doing what redeemers do? Now, in biblical times, we set some context here. A redeemer did for something for someone that they could not do for themselves. And what they did was they would rescue a victim from poverty or slavery. For example, suppose someone became poor and that person became so poor that they had to sell all their property to pay off all their debts. They had nothing. And still owed some debt. Well, what a redeemer would do would come alongside that poor person who'd sold everything and they'd buy back all the stuff that they'd sold, give it back to them and say, you're now redeemed. They got all their stuff back. Or suppose someone had to sell themselves into slavery to pay for their debt. That After they'd sold everything that they had to sell, there was nothing left for them to sell. The only thing they could do was sell themselves. And so they sold, them, they sold all their stuff and then they sold themselves into slavery to pay for their debt and they would remain in that slavery for the rest of their lives paying a debt that they could not pay. Well, what a redeemer would do was come alongside that person and pay the price to buy back all their stuff and then pay the price required to secure their freedom from slavery, giving them their life back so they would be released from bondage. And so when Job says, I know my Redeemer lives, what he's saying is, I have lost everything that I have to lose. But I know that there's someone's going to come alongside me and pay the price for everything I've lost and return it back to me. Now, if you roll that forward through time, the most expensive thing that a person possesses is their what? Their soul. I mean, Jesus said it this way in Matthew's Gospel. What profits a man or a woman if they gain all the wealth of the world but lose their soul? Or if they are so wealthy that they can do anything they want to do anytime they want to do, they don't have to work. They've been retired since they were 42 and they're spending all the money that they want to spend doing everything they want to do. But when it comes to the end, they're going to die and go to hell. 
What have they gained if during a few short years they had everything, but now they're going to spend a bazillion years burning in the lake of fire? What they gain? Nothing. Nothing. What profits a person to lose their whole soul? To, if the, so the most valuable thing that you possess right now today is not your house, it's not your car, it's not your bank account, it's not your family, it's not your education, it's not the clothes that you wear, it's not your jewelry, it's none of that stuff. The most valued possession that belongs to you is your soul. Now how much would you pay to ensure that your soul is redeemed? You'd pay any price. You'd give everything that you had to know that your soul would be redeemed. Well, what a redeemer does is says, you don't have enough. You'll never have enough to redeem your soul. Never. That's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It's not of works so that no one can boast. You can't earn it. You can't get it. You can't buy it. You don't have enough. This whole world doesn't have enough to pay the price for your soul. But there is one who does. And Job knew about him. He knew about him through faith. He said, my Redeemer lives in verse 25, and I know that he's going to stand up on this earth. My body is rotting away and dying. Remember, he was covered with sores. But I know that in my flesh, I'm going to see him with my own eyes and not with another. I'm going to see him. And he says, my heart yearns. What's he yearning for? Verse 25. His Redeemer. He's yearning for his Redeemer. Now, if anyone needed a redeemer, it was Job. I mean, he'd lost everything he had. You know, he lost all his donkeys. He lost every donkey he ever had. He was a wealthy man. If we could translate Job's wealth to today, he would be about a $54 billion heir. $54 billion. That's a lot of dollars. You know, he lost every donkey. He lost every one of his sheep. Every cattle, I mean every camel that he had, died. Gone, stolen, taken away from him. All his children were crushed to death when the roof of their house collapsed while they were having a party. I mean, Job was so wealthy, his kids didn't even have to work. Extreme wealth. Extreme wealth. He lost all these things. And if you read the story of Job, he lost all these things, but it wasn't because he was a sinner. And this is the confounding part. Job lost all his $54 billion because he was righteous. It was taken from him because he loved God, believed in God, worshiped God, looked for God to be his redeemer, to, to give him life immortal. Job had no idea why he was suffering, but we do. Satan went before God and said, God, I'd like to torture one of your boys. Because I think if I torture them, they're going to turn your back on you. That old Job thinks he's so righteous and he thinks he's walking so close to you, but God, I want to show you, he doesn't really love you and he's not really righteous to you. Let me go out there and 
torture. And that's the story. Because Job was righteous, Satan got to torture him, humiliate him. I don't know if I can explain all that. Job certainly couldn't. But he knew one thing. I'm a righteous man. His three friends tried to convince him to turn on God. His wife said, I want you to just cuss God out and die. I mean, awful situation. Nobody there to support him. But Job maintained, listen, I'm a righteous man. And I'm not going to become unrighteous. That's why in chapter 15 when he says, though he slay me, my hope's in him. That's a strong verse for me. Because nothing is more valuable than a person's soul. Not stuff, not this body. Now Job longed for somebody, just like you would. When you have been on the down and outs, and none of us in this room have experienced the level of pain and suffering that Job had. I mean, even his old body was rotting. I mean, he could see the wounds and the sores on his body where he had just rotten and parts falling off. None of us have been to that point that Job was at. But he never lost faith. And he longed for somebody to just come and help me. Somebody come and vindicate me. Somebody, I need help. And y'all not help me talking to his three friends and his wife. Y'all not, I need somebody who can help me. Well, 19, it dawns on him. Huh, you know what? My Redeemer lives. My Redeemer lives. Now, suffering's nearly brought him to the point of desperation. When you get on into Job, it's a long account. But rather than giving in to despair, he made this remarkable statement in verse 25. You need to underline this. I know my Redeemer lives. And I know that in the end, He's going to stand on this earth. You can't change that, folks. As I stand before you today, your Redeemer lives. He's alive. The one who is capable of redeeming you lives. Now, you just because He lives does not mean that you are redeemed. You have to profess Christ as Lord and place your faith in Him as Lord and Savior. Confess that He's the Lord of your life and time and eternity. Believe that God raised Him from the dead. You have to believe some things. But He is exactly and perfectly capable of being your Redeemer. Now, by definition, a Redeemer has to be living. A dead person cannot redeem. It's impossible. So, the Redeemer that Job was looking at was living then. The Redeemer that we believe in is living now. The Redeemer that is going to stand upon this earth is already living. Matter of fact, there has never been a time when that Redeemer was not living. There's never been a place, there's never been a situation there's never been a time when our Redeemer was not living. Never. And there will never be a time when your Redeemer is not capable of redeeming you or anyone else. From the vilest murderer to the little child who loses their life at one year of age. He is the Redeemer. So Job 
statement makes perfect sense than if it's applied to a living God. A God who's alive. See, God is the one who, as Job understood, would stand up for him at the very end to, def to defend and to deliver him. And he he's the only one who could. He's the only one that can for you too. Because you'll be dead. When it comes to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne judgment, you need somebody alive to stand there for you and plead your case. See, you're dead. But Jesus is living. He can plead your case. Now over time, Job realized that the only thing that could save him from judgment was grace. A particular kind of grace. A grace that would come from God. So he started looking for help from heaven. Looking for help to come to him from the place that only help could truly come. And he's looking for someone who could lay his hand upon him, both as a person and in God. And if we look back through time, we understand now that who Job was looking for was none other than who? Jesus. Now, Job did not yet know his name, but he knew that he lived. He knew that his Redeemer was alive. He knew through faith that his Redeemer would stand upon this earth. But he didn't yet know his name. Other than that, it had to come, he had to come from heaven. But we do. That's why we sing, Jesus is our Redeemer. Because we know who Job was talking about. Now Jesus is the witness that Job was looking for. Someone to testify on his behalf. And we now know and we can read scripture and understand that Jesus is our advocate. Just like he was Job's advocate and who Job was looking for. And so someone that would stand up and plead uh, our case in heaven. So in a word, Jesus is the redeemer. So we can fairly read this and say, I know that Jesus lives. And I know that Jesus will stand upon this earth. And I know that though my flesh is rotting away and falling off, I'm going to look my Jesus in the face with my own two eyes, not with another eyes. Oh, how I yearn for that to happen. Because it's Jesus. That gives me cold chills. To think that somebody that lived seven, eight thousand years before Jesus was ever born, or from now, through faith, recognized and realized that the Redeemer lived. Now, Jesus accomplished this redemption by dying on the cross for sinners. It's Ephesians 1, 7. It says this, In Him, speaking about Jesus, we have, what's the word? Redemption. We have the price being paid for us to set us free that we could not pay ourselves. Is what that word means. In Him, we have someone paying the price we cannot pay to free us from bondage and slavery, to return back to us the blessings that come from God. How? Through His blood. Well, this gives us the currency. Now, we might have been thinking of redemption as the, the payment for redemption would have been through dollars or some kind of uh, monetary value, diamonds or gold or something. But here in, in verse 7, Paul makes it clear to the Ephesian believers and to us that the, the payment that, of that redemption was actually in liquid form. It was a liquid. 
Have you ever spilt a liquid on the floor and it just kind of goes everywhere? It just spreads everywhere. That's the way Jesus' blood does. It covers. He lets us know that the currency that Jesus paid for redemption for our sins was actually a blood payment. Now, why blood? Why would the payment that would be required for the payment of sin have to be blood? I mean, God, it could have been anything. Because throughout Scripture, starting in Leviticus, all the way through to John, 1 John, we know that life is in the blood. So when Paul says that we have redemption through his blood, he's also saying he gave his life to redeem us. Because the blood represents life. When Job says, I know my Redeemer lives, and that He will stand upon the earth, and my flesh is rotting away, and I'm going to see Him with my own eyes, and my heart yearns for that day. Joseph was, or Job was already understanding that there was going to be a price paid for him that was going to acquire something extravagant. And today we know that that was his blood. And it was on the cross that Jesus paid the price to relieve, to release us from sin and slavery. It was on the cross that he reconciled us to God. So there's, there's, there's really, if you think about all the names for our Messiah, there's quite possibly nothing more, more significant than Redeemer. Because when we say Redeemer, that covers a lot of things about Jesus. Particularly, what he does for sinners. He pays a price that you cannot pay. He pays the price through death then resurrected to life because you could pay the blood price. You could give all your blood. Problem is you can't come back to life. There's a problem there. We can, you, we can beat you to death till you believe to death to pay for your sins. But the problem is you're going to stay dead. Now with this Redeemer, it didn't happen that way. Satan thought it happened that way because he stayed in the ground for three days. But in truth, in reality, three days later, while it was still dark outside, if you go read the story, sun hadn't come up yet. At least not the sun in the sky, but the sun had come up out of the ground. Christ walked again upon this earth. And he saves sinners from guilt, and wrath, all from our sin, and he saves us to an everlasting salvation. And we get that in Job. Though my flesh is rotting away, I'm going to see him with my own eyes in a new body. Redeemer tells us the manner in which Jesus saves. It's not merely by the power of his word, but it's by the price that he was willing to pay. By paying a ransom, pouring out blood as an atonement for our sins, he met the price of every sin debt that could be accumulated past, present, future. Think about all the sin debt that just exists today. 
Think about all the sin in our world. I mean, there's tons of it everywhere. Now, if you extrapolate that over the last 2,000 years, 10,000 years, or a million years, however far back you want to go, and you think about all the sin that has ever existed, and all the sin that's going to exist beyond today, Jesus paid the debt for every bit of that. That's amazing. It helps us understand the extreme value of his redemption. Because if he was capable of redeeming not just Job's sin or one person's sins like mine, but for all the sins of all humanity, for those who place their faith in him, that gives us an idea, just an inkling, $54 billion wouldn't have touched the value of Jesus' blood. You can't place a value on the price of his blood. It's priceless. It's the most cherished treasure that can be applied to anyone. Now Job was confident that his Redeemer was going to rise to his defense, just as you are today. Because what is true of Job's Redeemer is true of your Redeemer. Do you know Satan's custom to go before Jesus and condemn you? Just like he did Job? You know what God says? <laughs> Ain't buying it. They're covered. They're covered by the blood of the Lamb. Spotless without blemish. That's why Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Satan can't condemn you of anything. If you feel guilt over past sins, that's just because you want to feel guilty. That's Satan tricking you because the truth is you're forgiven. You're forgiven. 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sins, guess what? He's faithful. He's just and he will forgive you of your sins. Scripture tells us that he casts them in the sea to be remembered no more. He separates your sin as far from you as the east is from the west. Don't walk around feeling guilty. That's a bunch of baloney. You're believing a lie. Satan's tricked you. It's not true. It's not there. He can't go before the Father to condemn you because the Father says, that's a bunch of baloney because they're covered under the blood. So who does Satan go to to condemn you? To you. He gets in your head and he talks to you about your failures and your mess ups and how many times you messed this up and messed that up and all the stuff you did that was wrong and was bad and you feel so guilty that you can't even hardly stand up straight. You're just smashed down to the ground and Satan says, I got him whooped now. What's well, cause you're letting him. It's a bunch of baloney. You're forgiven. That's why we can walk boldly into the presence of Christ, Paul says, because we have nothing to be ashamed of, not because who we are but because of the price that he paid. So go live life happy. Don't listen to that garbage of Satan talking to you. Now what's true of Job's Redeemer is true of Jesus Christ. And in your life it's true. And he'll be the last man standing. He will be. At the end of history, when time ceases, Jesus will return to this earth in all his glory. And he'll stand in judgment upon this earth. He'll rule and reign for a thousand years, a millennial reign of Christ. And at the end of that, he's just going to smack the tar out of Satan and the devil and throw him in the abyss and destroy him. He'll be the king, the conqueror. In that last day, his people will be finally redeemed. See, the work of the Messiah is not done yet. Jesus will stand up and plead his own 
sacrifice for the price of our sin. And everyone who belongs to him by faith will be cleared of all charges. And even though Job never saw God, though you have never personally seen God, just as Job put his confidence in the Redeemer, so have you put your confidence in the Redeemer who will be alive at the end of history when time stops. The name of Job's living, standing Redeemer has the same name as your living, standing Redeemer. And it's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Don't let, everybody, don't let anyone ever take that from you. Don't let anybody ever trick you into doubting. Satan's the father of lies and he's the best liar of them all. Don't you listen to that garbage. You are a child of the living King. There's nothing to be ashamed of but everything to be proud of with humility because you belong to Him. Now the church has believed from the beginning in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. If the tomb wasn't empty, the sacrifice was in vain. But the question is, what do you believe? Now, this church believes that. It's part of our doctrines of faith. But do you personally believe that? If Jesus Christ is your Redeemer, then the resurrection of His body guarantees the resurrection of your body. That we will have new bodies. I love the passage in Matthew that says that you will be known as you were known in the end times. There might be a thousand years before Christ returns, or it could be this afternoon. Could be before I finish this message. But did you know that in the end times, in heaven and glory, after we've lived our last, did you know and realize that you're going to know me as Richard? We're going to see each other from across the way, and I'm going to walk up to you and I'm going to say, How you doing, Faye? Boy, Jim, it sure is good to see you. Gary, boy, I love you. How you been doing? Bill, how's your swing going? You know, it's going to be, just, we're going to know each other. You're going to see me and you're going to say, hey, there's Brother Richard. Remember when he preached that sermon way back when? It was true. Every bit of it was true. Not because of who I am, but because the Word of God's reliable. And it's true. We'll be known as we were known. When you get up there and, and you're going to wonder if your deceased loved ones are going to know you, you better believe they're going to know you. And they're going to know when you get there. They'll be waiting for you. The bodily resurrection. Already in Job's case, there was a connection between the life of the Redeemer and life after death. And in this passage, and we're almost done, Job is obviously speaking about his own death and own resurrection. But remember, God wants us to understand about life now. And so he gives us a glimpse in Job so that we can understand something about life and resurrection today. Remember, this is God telling his story about him so that we can know what He expects from us and what we can expect from Him and how to live life in this world as we're living. And at first He mentions the decomposition of His, decomposition of his own body. He talks about His skin being destroyed. And, and all the time Job spoke these words, that's about all He had left was skin and bones. I mean, that, and then it was dying. As bad as things were for Job, He knew that eventually they were going to get worse. Meyer and I had this conversation this week. As bad as things are in our world, folks, you better hang on. It is just going to get worse. It's got to. Because when things are as bad as they're ever going to get, that's when Christ is going to return. So things have got to get worse. Doesn't mean you give up and lose hope. Doesn't mean you quit preaching the gospel. Keep trying to expand and grow the kingdom and live faithfully to the Lord Jesus Christ here and now. 
But if you think it's bad and out there now, wait five years from now. Oh, Lord, help us. It's going to be awful. What we know is everything that Job depended upon required a risen Redeemer. And it was only because he knew his Redeemer lived that Job would live to see God himself. Now, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was the beginning of God's resurrection harvest when he calls us up out of the grave. Christ was the first to rise with the redeemed body. Because if you remember, he told Mary Magdalene, don't touch me yet. But then when he met Thomas, doubting Thomas, Thomas called Didymus. If you go read the story, he said, Tom, touch me here. Feel the wound in my side. Tom, touch my hands where they drove the spikes through. Yes, I'm the one. I am Jesus the Christ. He's our Redeemer. So it helps us understand that Christ's resurrection is the beginning of our resurrection. Because He was raised from the dead, we have confidence that we will be raised from the dead. And His resurrection is a promise and proof of the resurrection of the church. And that ought to give us tremendous hope. I'm going to jump to 1 Corinthians, guys, and close with this. We have eternal life through Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, it says this. For since death came through Adam, that's who the one man is. For since death came through Adam, one man, amen. The resurrection of the dead also comes through a single person. The resurrection of the dead comes through Jesus Christ. For as in Adam, everyone dies. So also in Christ, everyone. And notice he says, doesn't say is alive. Notice he says, in Adam will die. We want to live forever, but we, we, we want to escape it in this body. We're going to die. But notice the tense of the verb. So in Christ, all will be made alive or resurrected. Will be. Now we know that we're made alive. We place our faith in Jesus Christ. But if you think about this in the context of death, because this verse starts off with, for since death came, when it says, death came, but all will be made alive, that will be, if you're alive today and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is the closest that you'll ever get to heaven. If you're alive today and Christ is your personal Lord and Savior, this is the closest you'll ever get to hell. You'll never be any closer to hell than you are today because you can't go there with Christ as your Savior. Christ gives us eternal life. It means there's no wrinkles in heaven. None of us are going to wear glasses. None of us are going to have false teeth or dentures. There's no canes up there. There's no limping. There's no leaning against a wall. There's no wheelchairs in heaven. There's no emergency buttons you wear around your neck. 
There's no police. There's no flashlights. Because the former things have gone and the all becomes new. And that happens because our Redeemer lives. The day's coming when all of us on this earth, in this room, that know Christ our Lord and Savior, we shall see with our very own eyes the very body that was born by Mary in Bethlehem that grew up to be a man to die on the cross so that you can go boldly into the throne of grace and live without any condemnation because you're forgiven. What a wonderful story. No wonder they shouted Hosanna on Palm Sunday. Let's stand together as we sing. If you have a spiritual decision, I invite you to come. I'll be glad to pray with you.